from Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. We are thrilled to bring you sounds that no one else is playing just yet, but everyone will be copying soon. Oh, wait. Do you want the intro? Sure. <laughs> Beatboxing. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. And we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're having a few technical issues. Difficulties, however, we're going to muscle through on the power of charisma. And tonight is a special extended interview with Roberto Tejeda, who is the first Latinx poet at the University of Houston's creative writing program. And of course, powerful poet in his own right, translator, intellectual, but also 
uh, an ally of, of the cause as well. So we're looking forward to an extended interview with him. We'll be chatting about many of things that I don't think any commercial station can even fathom. But we're going to liberate your imagination together. And then we're going to have some extended reading of his poems on air. So stay tuned for that. And we'll have some great music in the interludes. And at the top of the show, we, of course, will have our latest installment of Cultural Capital. And if you are on our email blast, you get these every Tuesday at 2. We also post them on our social media. And, of course, we'll talk to um, Roberto a little bit about these as well. And, of course, I do want to touch base on some of the urgent news going on, especially DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, being reviewed at the Supreme Court. Of course, the show after us coming to America, I know we'll be dealing extended uh, coverage to that. But we want to chime in as well. But first, we do want to give you this installment of Cultural Capital. This one is titled Confidence. The True Power of Writing Writing instructors talk about the power of writing, but the metaphor of power is lost in a society where struggles for power are prevalent. Those struggles are different from the struggles our community face down the block. Those struggles are far removed from the struggles of our students to get to class and to succeed academically. Our struggles in the community are not addressed by the fights for power that we see on television, news, in newspaper, or even online. But our community is in a struggle. We may not perceive it as a struggle for power because it looks and feels instead like a struggle for survival. Let's get this straight. My community and I are in a very real struggle to survive. However, we are already strong. That's why the metaphor of struggle for power doesn't work for us. The tests we face destroy us or make us stronger. So we don't really need to be taught how to be strong. We have not been obliterated despite all the forces trying to erase us. That is enough proof of our might. We're also in a struggle to thrive. I don't need this knowledge, these skills to just survive. These skills make us thrive. That's what my students are looking for. Of course, in any list of student outcomes, you will not see listed survival or thriving. So I bake that into my courses. That's why I teach. That's why we have Nuestra Palabra Latino writers having their say as well. Yes, we professors must comply with department rules, accreditation policies, national mandates, so of course, attend to all of that. But I also know, and I'm living proof of this, I am also teaching students how to gain the confidence to thrive. I'm talking about the confidence that comes from writing well. Also, if you know how to write, you also become better at speaking in public. After putting that into practice in the classroom, Writers will be able to apply and build on those skills in larger and larger and larger and larger stages. And they will not be afraid. They'll have the confidence to pursue their due. But first, they have to be able to articulate what they want to do. And they have to be able to say this even to themselves. As a professor of English in Houston, I know I might be the first and last person to directly speak to my students about gaining this confidence through writing but they are looking for this. I know this because I asked them on the first day of class, why are you here? This question is so basic that it's fundamental and my students' answers hit the essential. My students from the north side of Houston, from Acres Homes, from I-45 and Parker, want to progress. They want to advance. They want to rise, but no one instructs them. Of course, some folks have inspired them by example, but many have not been shown any of the steps they have to take to activate. My courses at Nuestra Palabra do that directly and indirectly. We make sure of that. My students do not ask me if what I am teaching them will serve them in real life. I show them, they know it, they feel it, they write it, they read it. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going and why. 
That's the confidence that we inspire, and we back that up with prose. Now, take out a sheet of paper. And, of course, our sheet of paper is 100,000 watts of electricity flying through the fourth largest city in America as we wait to see what the Supreme Court will decide. Some of us will become writers and poets, some of us lawyers. I hope some of us someday become Supreme Court justices. The fate of so many of our community is in their hands. I heard bad news. Um, One report today said that from the oral arguments, it sounded like the justices were leaning towards eliminating DACA. Of course, I don't want to scare folks. I do want to keep you aware of what's going on because it is such a vital issue. But again, when we're talking about power, it means one thing. Really, I I think we have to focus now on the confidence of writing because that's the gift we have to share with our youth so that they can be confident enough to go to City Hall, to run for City Council, to run for mayor, to speak their opinions, and to really get involved. We hope that we've encouraged folks to do that in many different ways. Hope you're going to stay posted because the runoff elections will be shortly, December 15th. A lot of a lot of seats are still up for grabs. It's going to get heated, but folks are also expecting a very low turnout. And we tell you this all the time, so we hope you will spread the word. But it is important to get people engaged. Every vote's going to be multiplied by that by that lack of involvement. So that is a, a couple of big issues. We do want to let you know that we'll be monitoring all of these things as well as so many other fires. I do want to also segue by reminding you. It's not that our community is not involved. I used to say that there's 100 fires to put out. There are now 200 fires to put out. We have a whole re- upheaval of the school district. Tomorrow at Pershing um, in the evening, the Texas Education Agency will have a meeting for you to find out what's going to be going on while the Texas Education Agency takes over Houston Independent School District. I'd be interested to know how you feel about that. Yes, the board messed up. Can't curse on the air, so they messed up. That's been addressed. That's been quantified. We pointed all that out on the air. So that that is something that we've addressed. And guess what? Those folks, the incumbents who were up for our election were voted out. That's four seats. And then the five remaining seats are lame ducks. They have no power for at least the next two years, which is when their 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 um their their do their um rule will end. So in two years, their seats are up, so they'd be up for election anyway. So I don't want to even touch the current HISD board because they're gone. That's been dealt with. I do want to deal with this new imposition of state rules. Um, quickly, I would say that if the state is coming in. To Wheatley High School, they're also coming to the whole district. For Wheatley High School, they need to bring their resources. Are there state-of-the-art facilities now that the state has been in charge for a day? Are there new computers? Is there new software that will make it fun to learn some of the uh, subjects that are uh, tested on the STAR test? Are we training teachers to teach those courses in a fun way? Do we have master teachers on location? Have we catered to after-school education? Have we catered to arts education? Do we have consultants helping with parent-teacher organizations, especially after Republican legislatures have destabilized schools with with uh, by pitting parents against each other? You've got parents who are pro-charter um, schools, pitted against parents who are pro-public schools and the destabilization of that funding. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Are any of those elements coming with these new rulers? And how come they don't have already uh, a set plan? If this is such a great idea, why don't they do it at all 1,200 school districts as it remains? That's one of my main beefs. And I want to make clear that you had Republican uh, Speaker of the House Bonin who said that he was recorded. It was a a secret tape that's been released. He said that 
the the Republican House, uh, the Republican legislature was trying to create rules to destabilize blue cities. The rules that have shaped education in Texas have affected HISD in this way. Yes, the board that was just you know defanged um, and dest- and taken out of uh, commission. Yes, they made some errors. I also believe that every single administration was set up for failure. You can go back all the way to Terry Greer. Uh, we haven't even talked about all the superintendents who leave and have a golden parachute of six figures. You know, I think Terry Greer left with seven hundred thousand dollars, depleting the system of those funds. So, again, we have a hundred fires. We can't get to all of those, and we're not going to get to all of those. But we are going to empower you through literature. We set the agenda. So today, on Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say, we're going to be bringing one of the leading intellectuals in the country who's here in Houston. If you didn't know about that, you're going to find out about that. And if you are a friend or familiar with Roberto's work, which many around the world are and in the country, you're about to get a one-on-one with him and, and hear him read some of his work that you can share with others later on during the podcast, which are archived at the University of Houston. So we set the agenda. We demand to treat our community as intellectuals, and we want to make sure we inspire all of us to have the confidence to go out and stand up for us. So there's 200 fires. We can't attend to all of them, but we know we will make the world a better place by inspiring intellectuals and sharing our art and literature. We're going to take a small musical break, and then we're going to come back with Roberto Tejeda, Brilliant poet. You're listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers have their say on the air. Keep on, yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you got the will to try, take the will and drive another obstacle and heal the climb. Now stay driven and complete each step. Learn to use your ambition as a GPS. Right, right. Break loose from the pain. Don't let it break you. Right before you break down, you might have been close to a breakthrough. You can try and fail, but if you don't try, you fail. It's okay to be lost when you're trying to find yourself. Broke the latches out the ashes, rose the phoenix. I'm just a bunch of stitched together, broken pieces. One time for the inner struggles that we deal with. And all the various wounds that haven't healed yet. When times Tough and you're going through it the worst To create a new life, you have to grow into it first Keep going, if it hurts and you feel your vision is blurry Understand, progress is not a linear journey, come on Keep on rolling Keep on dreaming Keep on rolling Keep on dreaming Keep on rolling Keep on dreaming Keep on doing what you do Never give up believing just try, try, just try, 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 just try, just try, yeah, 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 yeah. When you can't show no one that you're so broken Going in slow motion and hoping to find where the road ends Doctors telling patients that their fight is hopeless But the human spirit can change the diagnosis Let me sit you down and say Instead of throwing in the towel Use it after you wash all the doubt away Dealing with lessons the universe had to allocate Your soul takes over when your legs are running out of strength Celestial mother, heavenly father Universal creator gave the strength to carry me farther Listen, listen, keep my heart protected with armor Now I look at my emotional scars as metals when no one believes in you and people put you down You look around and it seems that there's no ground to put your feet on Look, remember you're the only one that stops you When you can get when you want to What you gotta do is keep on Keep on rolling Keep on dreaming Keep on rolling Keep on dreaming Keep on rolling Keep on dreaming Keep on
Hey, thanks for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, giving you a soundtrack to a revolution. And Letty's running the board tonight. Thank you so much for, for those smooth, cool sounds. Uh, yes. That was actually um, a artist called Wake Self. He's from Albuquerque. And unfortunately, last week he was in a car accident. Oh, my goodness. And he was about to start on his career, to say the least. But so I thought I was like, oh, I'll play something. I'll play a song, just not the norm, not the one that, you know, New Mexico. <laughs> so, sorry. And great, great sounds as well. And thanks for training Raquel and Maria over there as well. So, saluden. Hello. Actually, today is my last day here. Oh my goodness! That's uh. Well, thank you for all your help. And and uh, did Letty fire you? I did. You I fired. you're just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely gonna come back. I don't know when, but I'm just so thank- thankful to everyone here. Such a great team. Well, thank you. Also, thank be you so here. Much. All right, eso. <laughs> you gotta do twice the work now, pero that's okay. So <laughs> you're young. You have energy. But thank you so much for, for all the work that you do. And those the, we've got our crew helping us with social media as well as the board. Shout out to Q who's out there. Could make it today. Marlene also. Yes. Um, big team out there. They might not be here now, but their stamp is always on every show. Yes. And thank you, Letty. <laughs> and today, live in the studio, is a dear friend, but also uh, a mover and shaker of l- literature, the first Latinx poet at the UH Creative Writing Program, Roberto Tejeda. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me, Tony. Really exciting to have you here. And I just want to remind folks that you're the author of Still Nowhere in an Empty Vastness. We'll be focusing on, on that today, but uh, as well as all your other work, because there's a lot to talk about. Uh, that's a cultural poetics of the Americas, as well as poetry collections that include Full Foreground, Exposition Park, Mirrors for Gold, and Selected Poems in Spanish Translations, Todo en la Hora. He's the author also of National Camera, Photography of Mexico's Image Environment, and a monograph on the Chicana conceptual artist Celia Alvarez Munoz. A ver, ver. Celia Alvarez Munoz, um, published by Minnesota Press? That's fascinating. Okay, I got it. And UCLA's Chicano Studies Research Research Center. Wow, okay. I'm going to resist going down that that avenue because I want to talk about just that cool mixture. But there's more. (laughs) He served as co-curator on Manuel Alvarez Bravo, Optical Parables at the J. Paul Getty Museum, and Luis Quispert Loud Image at the Hood Museum at Dartmouth College, and his writings appear frequently in exhibition catalogs, among them Images of the Spirit, Photographs of Graciela Iturbide, and now dig this, Art in Black Los Angeles, 1960 to 1980. And more importantly, he is representing us at the University of Houston in many capacities. So thank you for coming to the show. I'm thanks. really pleased to be here. Thanks for having me, Tony. Thanks so much for everything you do. And it is good. we have an extended interview, so the first half I want to talk about anything, <laughs> and then second half... Just have you flow with some of your awesome, uh, awesome boys. See, yeah, I point um, So first, tell us at the University of Houston. So, of course, I always think of you as the translator and poet, but you also work in other capacities. There. That's right. So I have a joint appointment. I teach in the English department in the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences in the Creative Writing Program. And I also teach and have an appointment in the Art History Department in the College of the Arts, the Catherine G. McGovern College of the Arts. And so I'm able to teach... Broadly in Latinx contemporary art, I also teach Latin American art, Very Mexico, twentieth cool. early 20th wow. century, and I've had the opportunity to work with the Museum of Fine Arts Houston and write a, uh, to, on a seminar that involved photo books from Latino America and, wow. and the <laughs> Latinx uh, Southwest, and they have a very vibrant collection there at the Hirsch, at the Hirsch Library. That's so exciting. And, of course, I mean, uh, I really want to pause there because, uh, um, you know, I was the first Chicano to get an MFA at UH. None of this was going on when I was there. Um, well, we so, had the opportunity to work with Latino Art now. And just to see you as a as a sort of witness to the kinds of changes that have taken place since you were a graduate student at the University of Houston and the kinds of um, sort of space it's given now to, to the cultural accomplishments of Latinos and Latinx peoples here. So it, it is a very exciting time in, in Houston. 
Um, and I think people have to really take advantage of it to push it. Um, but I also think it's it's I would choke it. I mean, like there's constant. <laughs> Well, I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, I read, I read your uh, your blasts, your e-blasts, and your editorials, and I mean, I think this idea of cultural capital—you know—there are only a few who are able to sort of have that kind of authority, and we're still in that situation where, a f- you know, one month is dedicated to you know, Hispanic <laughs> heritage, or a couple of weeks, and and then it might easily be overlooked or forgotten the, thereafter. So I just think that you know, I think that Latino Art Now that took place in April of this year was an important. Um, it was an important landmark insofar as I think uh, artists definitely are organizing. And I, as you know, there's a very uh, strong local artist community of artists of color and Latinx artists who are now sort of making sure that that uh, continuity uh, is present. Now, of course, the thing I worry about, too, is that Latino Art Now was, I think, was powerful, but it's going it's going away and, and and then that conference goes to another city in 2 years right so it did open eyes but it becomes tricky on what's next and also we mentioned Hispanic Heritage Month it's also complicated too i think because people are like we gave you Hispanic Heritage Month why do you love it and we're like well, about the name you know right and and it, it is kind of uh well i love that you called it a uh, zombie term right? because <laughs> it keeps coming back it's <laughs> I mean, I'm happy. I mean, there's, there have been even editorials in the New York Times and elsewhere about the use of Latinx. I think it was because Elizabeth Warren had used it, and <laughs> right. I mean, uh, to the degree that this that the youth use it, and certainly my students uh, insist on it, I I see no reason why we shouldn't use it. And, and I think that's the fascinating part. I think exactly like you're saying, young folks have embraced it. Yep. Um, on the East Coast, it's the word. Yep. Uh, on social media. But then you come to Texas and there's still fights. And the word Hispanic is so prevalent. I mean, I think it's in all the documentation. You know, it's hard to get around. Uh, and, you know, I, I've, I'm torn as well. I mean, I, on the one hand, Hispanic Heritage Month seems like a token sort of attention. But on the other hand, now that we're in this inv- atmosphere and climate of such anti-immigrant and anti-Latinx feelings, uh, the more the better. It, it, right. And, and I think... As an activist, also, if there's an elder and they embrace the term Hispanic, I think our ethics have to be, well, if we remove that, right. <laughs> we need to have something in place that they're like, okay, I like this better and I'm good. Yeah. Otherwise, they're, they're you know, a tailspin of identity. Um, or they get mad. <laughs> or they're just going to get mad and not and not embrace whatever else there is. Uh, but right, um, let's see. Okay, the word Hispanic... Um, one, it's not the it's not bartering with anyone. Hispanics like I'm I'm the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> Come for me. I'm the Hispanic Heritage Month. Right. I uh, think it's Richard Rodriguez who has a, in one of his essays talks about how we 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 owe the term Hispanic to Richard Nixon. I'm yeah. I am the census word from the seventies. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and it just took this deep ingrained foothold so strongly, um, but then. Maybe every generation is supposed to have their term anyway. It's just, yeah, I agree. And I mean, it's just interesting to see what uh, the youth who are really activists as well are, are doing with the term. And it's not just a term. It really does involve all kinds of identities and representations that haven't been given the uh, the sort of the attention, right? So they're... Latinx is about also sexual fluidity. It's about gender identity or presentation. It's also about uh, the ways in which I think one of the the best critiques of Hispanic or even Latino is that it excludes also our Afro Latinidad and it excludes our indigeneity. Right. So that's what Latinx is supposed to refer to. And I think the X as a kind of variable is inclusive. Now, the other thing I'll add, too, is if we had ethnic studies in schools from kindergarten up. We'd have the tools to talk about this, and it probably would have solved this, <laughs> right, right? And then to look at it critically as well, because I mean, I think one of the uh, the uh, one of the other critiques of both Hispanic and Latino, or now Latinx, is that it tends to equalize as if our various experiences are not, and different immigrations and different diasporas are diasporas are not uh, unique, right? Which brings us to only art can save us, because I think that's also what about it's incredible about poetry and visual art is it breaks through that those discussions and that's right either through voice or image right itoka and you you break a lot of different borders yourself so well how about this do, do you identify which 
do you identify? Which term do you identify with? I've now been using Latinx. I really I like that. I mean, before I'd been using Latino, Latina, mm -hmm. having to use the double term, right? But it just seems to me to work. Now, it's a little bit harder for me to use the, the X in other uh, instances, and I, I think even Spanish is now trying to find ways around ello y ella, or el y ella, and ella. There are different forms of trying to, uh, you know, open up the sort of the the non-binary and, and but but then of course at the end of the day you're an artist first obviously yes, yes obviously so so tell us about navigating the different uh yeah border crossings uh yeah. is, is a term i you know that i that i on the one hand know i have the privilege to have sort of gone back and forth between in this case mexico and the united states that i moved to mexico city after uh, i graduated from college and spent 11 years there which was really my training my initial training and sort of cultural and intellectual formation. And it was a very sort of uh, vibrant cultural context, both in the visual arts and in the literary arts. So uh, those were my first uh, communities, really. Nice. Yeah. And where did you do your, where did you go to school? I, so I did my undergrad at NYU, then went to Mexico, and then it was not until later that I, that I pursued my graduate work in uh, SUNY Buffalo. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So you, you had the Mexico experience in the middle of all that. That's right. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. And that is beautiful, too. Uh, it's, it, you can, I mean, it really is one of the most dynamic and energetic cities. You know what blows my mind? Like, the first time I went, it was mind-blowing because I'm like, we've been so brainwashed, you know, to that our community's been reduced to... You know that we're not intellectuals. I mean, it's like we. How did we let that happen? Because Mexico City is just so potent. Well, it's the it's the city where other diasporas from Latin America go, right? So, the community that I felt that I fell into in the 1990s was composed of nationals, Mexicanos, Latin Americans from Brazil, Peru, Colombia, Chile. Of those I can think of off the t off the top of my head, as well as a kind of expat community, some of them from the UK and many of them from the United States. So one of my oldest and dearest friends is the sculptor, multimedia artist Thomas Glassford, Thomas Glassford, who's a border boy as well from Laredo, right, from an Anglo family. And so I sort of these are the kinds of uh, um, intersections and entanglements that took place there in Mexico City. And there was a whole, you know, vibrant art world that was taking place in the 1990s. Now there, are, these are names that are uh, sort of, you know, blue chip artists known globally. But it was a Gabriel Orozco was just becoming Gabriel Orozco. Um, to, to, to think of someone like uh, Francis Alice, the Belgian-born but Mexico City-based artist as well. Um, these were the kinds of, you know, the uh, Teresa Margolles, who's now who's also now represented at several biennials, including the Venice Biennial, was just starting to, we were wow. just meeting, as, we were just kids, basically, <laughs> as Patti Smith says in her book. <laughs> That's so exciting. And, and and how did these experiences, how did that epoca influence the rest of your work? Which, uh, obviously, it still does. I, I mean, I think one of the things I learned sort of after the fact, or and in a sense, we didn't have the exactly the language for it, although it was beginning to, to be part of the vocabulary, was it what I was... I was working for two different journals. One was a literary journal, Vuelta, that was published by the late Octavio Paz. And then I worked for an art magazine called Artes de Mexico. But what was going on in Mexico at the time in the Salinas de Gortari administration was that we were seeing the rise of what we now call neoliberalism, mm. what they were calling globalization, really. And so the ways in which so many parts of what of Mexican society that had been sort of state-run or uh, was now being privatized, and so many public spaces were becoming privatized. And so, you know, a lot of that is really informed some, my poetry, definitely, in the way I look at the ways in which the art world that we know now was just in its initial stages there. Wow. Yeah. It, it's it's potente because it's a, we were talking globally. We are talking globally right now. And I mean, and one of the reasons I went to Mexico and wanted to start a journal, which I did, uh, uh, Mandorla, New Writing for the Americas or Nueva Escritura de las Americas, I was really influenced by that great journal of the 1960s called El Corno Emplumado, mm -hmm. which is now all online. That was published by Margaret Randall and Sergio Mondragon 
in the late 60s and you know it was fully bilingual <laughs> and it brought all kinds of poets from the United States, Canada and Latin America together and it was really you know it blew my mind as an undergraduate when I saw it at the Bops library in in New York. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so yeah. thrilling. Well and then, and then paint the picture so then um you go you go to SUNY and 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 walk us to to us stealing you from the rest of the world. <laughs> so there are some a brief a brief stay in Texas. When I moved back from Mexico City, I was a briefly a, curate, a f photography curator at then called Texas State University, uh, that has a collection of Mexican and Southwest mm -hmm. photography. And then I went and pursued my PhD at the State University of New York at Buffalo. I had a, a pre doc at Dartmouth College for a year um, that allowed me to com complete my dissertation, and then I. My first appointment was at the University of California, San Diego, where I mm. uh, spent seven years. Uh, and then my Texas journey began, first at UT Austin uh, for two years, then at Southern Methodist University, SMU in Dallas. And then I was recruited by UH and have been here for the last five years, now going on my sixth year. Time flies, too, though. <laughs> I know. It's like in a matter of a, of a whisper, boom, it it passes by. Well, I think that uh, to me, it certainly has, and uh, I guess it's one part of it has to do with the ways in which I truly believe that Houston's art institutions and cultural organizations truly work well together. So that it just seems that um, many kinds of uh, initiatives are able to take place, and sort of the kind of collegiality that, that happens makes uh, makes these things seem to speed up and accelerate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Now, um, so you got us to now. Let's let's. Uh, why don't you share some of your poems with us? All right. Well, I, I'll, how about if I start with a translation first? Oh, please. Uh, so this new book, uh, Still Nowhere in an Empty Vastness, collects essays from as far back as 1991, uh, when I'd first moved to Mexico, and it also includes an essay about my relationship with the mid-century Cuban poet. Uh, Jose Lezamalima, and I talk about my translations of, of his work, and this is from his posthumous book published in 1976 called Fragmentos a Suiman, which I've translated as The Fragments Drawn by Charm. Now, Lezamalima is, is primarily known perhaps in in English for a novel that uh, Gregory, Gregory Rabasa translated into English called Paraiso, a very uh, vast, Joycean novel of over four or 500 pages. But he also wrote incredible essays. He's associated with the, this kind of neo-Baroque tendency in Latin America of the mid-20th mid century that looked, on the one hand, to Spain and the 16th and 17th centuries, the Renaissance and, and Baroque poetries of Spain, but also to the Surrealists of France in the 1920s and 1930s, and translating it into a into the flora and fauna and the specificity of the Caribbean. So there's a kind of tropical Baroque that takes place in his work. But he was also interested in kind of the idea of the double, and which is uh, consistent with, with Surrealist practice. So the poem I'm going to read is the le very last poem of that collection, The Fragments Drawn by Charm. And it's a poem that Latin American poets refer to um, consistently, and it has this idea of the double of Lezama Lima sort of um, meeting his other self and kind of evaporating into that other self. The only thing you might need to know is that he 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 indulges in a, in what might be called a, a Latin American Orientalism, and that he's talking about this one feature of Japanese interior design called the tokonoma, which is a small space that is inserted in the walls of, of certain domestic spaces in Japan. So it's entitled The Pavilion of Nothingness. I join the screw, po excuse me, I join the screw posing questions in the wall, a lackluster sound, color covered with a blanket, but I falter and momentarily blind, I can barely feel myself. All at once, I call to mind with my fingernails, I tunnel a tokonoma in the wall. I need a tiny hollow. It's there I go diminishing, to reappear anew, to touch myself, and set my forehead in its place, 
a tiny hollow in the wall. Multiplier of weariness, the cafe I'm sitting in, the insistent daiquiri returning like a face of no use for death, for springtime. With my hands, I trace the length of a lapel that feels cold to me. I wait for no one, and I insist on someone's pressing arrival. All at once, with my fingernail, I draw a tiny crevice on the table. There it is, the tokonoma, the hollow. I'm in company unrivaled, a corner conversation in Alexandria. We're together in a round of skaters through the Prado. He was a child who inhaled all the tenacious dew from the sky, and then with the hollow, like a cat, that circles the whole body with a silence full of flickerings. Within reach of what surrounds us, and close to our body, the stubborn notion that says our soul and its enwrapping fit inside a tiny hollow in the wall or on tissue paper scratched with a fingernail. I'm diminishing. I'm a point that disappears and returns, and I fit full length inside the tokonoma. I make myself invisible, and on the verso I recover my body swimming at the beach, encircled by bachelors of art with banners of snow, mathematicians and baseball players describing sapodilla ice cream. The hollow is smaller than a deck of cards, and it can be as big as the sky, but we can shape it with our fingernail along the brim of a coffee cup or in the sky that falls beside our shoulder. The beginning is united with the tokonoma. In the hollow, a kangaroo can hide without forfeit of its bounding joy. The apparition of a cave is mysterious and begins to disentangle its dreadful. To hide there is to tremble. The hunter's horns resound in the frozen forest, but the hollow is soothing. We can lure it with a thread and usher it into insignificance. I scrape the wall with a fingernail. Slivers of lime crumble down as though they were shards from the celestial tortoise shell. Is the barrenness in the hollow the first and final path? I fall asleep. In the tokonoma, the other still walking is the one I evaporate. Man, <laughs> that is so cool. Now, I want to resist ask you too much because I'd prefer that we share poems with the audience. But I'm going to take editorial license. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Host license. Which of that was hardest to... Because you... I mean, obviously it takes a great poet to translate another great poet. Because... I, it, oh, yes. It sounds so smooth and silky. Yes, what yes. was the hardest part? Well, the hardest part in all of Lezama... This poem may be less. So it's a rather... It, it, was, a, it was less challenging insofar as the... To, Lezama is notorious for his very... Uh, twisted and entangled syntax. So getting it right in English where you can have the kind of um, torques that are taking place within the poem and the kinds of pivots that happen all of a sudden is possible, but that's, that is the hardest part. It's, and it's a little less complicated in this poem than it has been in some of the, even the more sort of, there uh, Enemy Rumor is a, one of his books that has these sort of torrents of language mm. that much longer lines, and those require a different kind of, uh, ch are, present a different kind of challenge. Fascinating. Let, let's hear another one. So um, I will read another poem from another poem that I've translated by a poet who was just here in Houston uh, that I had the, the honor and privilege of hosting. Uh, she gave a talk at UH. She came also with uh, the writer who is her translator. Um, so I'm referring to Reina Maria Rodriguez, who's a Cuban poet who uh, was part of this generation that in the 1970s and 1980s came into their own uh, in Cuba, after sort of the first generation after the revolution. And uh, Reina came with Kristen Dijkstra, who has really been her primary translator. Uh, but I had translated this poem back in the 1990s before meeting Reina when I went to Havana in 1997 for the, for the biennial there. So I, I'll read this. It's a shorter poem, and it sort of uh, has a reference to the cinema of Tarkovsky, and it sort of talks about a strange habitation of what seems to be Cuba in the 1980s or early 90s. It's called The Zone. 
I'm here in the magnetic field, the dense zone where the grass trembles bending toward you. I found my way inside thanks to the white drawing of the animal I owned in that other death. The oracles never come to pass except in silence, when the magnetic needle of the aftermath oscillates beyond us, uncertain, we've walked under cold rain. Deactivated bombs in the happiness room and ephemeral flowers over fish devoured by fame. Each form has donned its apparel, and now they resemble what they are, a simulacrum. But the zone is imminence, and coming back from the place, coming back into focus, the release of each hour. Man, I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well uh, uh, dear listeners, imagine all this in Spanish, and we are breaking what folks imagine as Latinx literature also. Um, I mean, the U.S. experience benefits so much from our brothers and sisters sharing their imagination. You know, and I, I think it's true, and that's why in this book of essays I also have a, I have a couple of essays on, on artists who are also writers, and in this case I'm there's one on the Chicano artist Harry Gamboa Jr., who is also a phenomenal prose writer and poet. And I, I think that his aesthetics, his poetics, is informed by this kind of, uh, let's call it the long surrealism of both Latin America as it's mm. translated into our Latinx experience here in the States. Man, that's so cool. More poems. More All right, po so maybe... people demand it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I will read something of my own. Eso. <laughs> All right. Um I'll begin. I'll begin with a poem that was one of the f among the first I wrote when I was in Mexico, and part of it was, and I had the opportunity to read uh, at a Latinx showcase put on by young poets here in Houston. Many of them associated with the creative writing program called Defunct. You can go to their website, defunct.com, and they had a Latinx showcase at the Trans Art Foundation, uh, Surpik Angelini's excellent space beautiful, space beautiful space on saturday and uh i decided to read poems that that really were informed by my interest in ethno ethnography or uh, the new ethnography and anthropology and living in mexico i was interested in many of the the uh, the the original chronicles and some of the encounter narratives that included the experience of the of the aztecs and other Indigenous peoples and the myths that were that were recorded by um, by some of the Spaniards, and so also using the some of the iconography, including the idea of the codex. And so this poem is called Codex, and it derives from some of the, those descriptions uh, of the vencidos, as a, as this a collection was called. Codex. With the luminous adversary of the dark arisen a hummingbird below the skirt of the earth to instruct us in weapons and art. What we secured then was a world, and we were everywhere, like a hand, like rain, as if to mirror the stars above this overwhelming valley. Though we knew these were signs, a fire, a comet falling, and a woman nightly weeping, a hideous bird in nets pulled up from the boiling lake. And there appeared Bicephalous men, as if the enormous houses of time, all the massive, seemingly permanent skyward stone assembled to eclipse this transient empire, there being other authorized voices. So cool. <laughs> and I love that you got your codex right there. So. <laughs> I, do, I do, exactly. A lot of these poems in this first book, which is called Mirrors for Gold, it, it really interacted with Mexico City and different parts of it and maybe I'll read a poem there is a uh, flea market a famous flea market in a section a very working class section of Mexico City called Metzahualcoyotl and this is a poem that came out of that experience of thinking all of, of the kind of uh, overproduction and the ways in which the economies of waste and recycling uh, depending on the class that you pertain to uh, are performed. Mm. So it's called At Netzahualcoyotl. Stand after stand are often scattered over canvas on asphalt of the street. 
dismembered plastic dolls undressed, counterfeit flesh of whose missing limbs formed pyramids beside toaster, telephone, and steering wheel, rear-view mirror meat grinder, proper names expired of an eroding common memory, adding machine, flashlight, Ouija board, and smoke detector. As in handcuffs to spark plug, as hand crank and back-issue hustlers to bicycle seat, from hairdryer to magnifying glass or stapler wristwatch equals gear shift, cogwheel, or monkey wrench, eight track, as of all the haunting human detritus, sheer quantity of whose lost initial use in permanent skeletons, our body double, as though in all this deathless matter nestled fragments of as many wasted subjects. Wow. <laughs> Wait, you saw that all? I saw this all. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. So you saw the A-track player. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it is an interest. It is a, uh, a unique experience. I mean, it's really, uh, it's one in which there are many flea markets in Mexico City, but I think the and there's another poem that I have that has to do with the kinds of um, global objects that were sold, but plastic objects that this artist Melanie Smith incorporated into art practice. But you realize the 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 ways in which global capital. Uh, has its hierarchies as well, right? Uh, what's sold at, at what place and for whom? And what gets left over, what's remaindered, and, and what kind of uh, classes are, have access to that? And we all walk through it, live through it. it exactly. And to what degree are we desensitized, mm. right? Mm. But I, I love that you've captured that for, for us. Uh, more poems, please. I think we have time for at least one more. One more? Yeah? Yeah, we're good. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, then I'll end maybe with this, which is again, um, in my. This is the most poems we've ever had at once. Is so that thank right? you. Thank you oh, very thank much. Thank you. There is just outside of Mexico on the way to Puebla a, a, a very large head of Benito Juarez that was uh, built and designed by David Alfaro Siqueiros. And it's. Uh, been photographed and it's um, you can either think it's um, imposing and impressive or you could also think it's outlandish but in either case it's kind of an important um, uh, reference in sort of the the urban landscape or the 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 highway landscape of Mexico and so that's just the first reference and that's all you really need to know but part of this is just sort of meant to convey the the frenetic intensity of of living in Mexico and its outs and its surroundings. Honeycomb perfection of this form before me. No, not one imposing megalith, neither harrowing nor laughable, the Cuatliqua stone or the monumental head of Juarez by Siqueiros toward the Route 190 toll booth to Puebla. But the infinite combination of matter in myriad flux, each conduit a machine in perpetual motion to generate the light of all cities everywhere from this political navel to the seamless outer fabric and the shadow hands behind it, every interlocking part on the friezes of Mitla, a remembered banter, a half-articulated sun over what I'm getting at, over these ruined phrases, see, walking dull with repetition, and then I vanishes with the dog light sweet breathing over the cool wood of summer and its countless diamonds spilling. Okay, so I sort of get the environs right as they were rendered around me. Here now, they just hover in place. Instead... A chalk-choke foothold longed for rushing down Mexico City's metro, the smell of burning rubber and baking sweat. Wait, not more than twenty miles from here, in Iztapatitlan, an out-Lawrenced repulsion, inexplicable scent in which there are resin and perspiration and sunburned earth and urine, among other things, tossed into the dense air in whose dry wicker powder of each page turned verso, from the five sun codex of what I need to know to make the work day weak, ennobling, the whole thing worth it and rage wrecked or watermarked, or yet another Pemex oil slick catastrophe off the coast of Quatzacoalcos when dictation recedes of a sudden in ebb and ejaculated glow. Man, what a treat to have our dear friend Roberto join us live on the air and share works from his new book. Still nowhere in an empty vastness that's just out. Hope that you will all get a chance to read that, as well as some of his earlier works and to tell us uh, how he got here. Any readings or events coming up or ways that we can keep track of you, shy of stalking you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I will have to. There will be an event and in the in late January, a date to be determined. But I will be throwing a party around the publication of Still Nowhere and an Empty Vastness at Lawndale Art Center. Oh, very cool! Yes. We love Lawndale. We love so, Lawndale. Oh, we, we will be great long time uh, yeah. or arts organizations. That is so cool. And uh, thank you so much, too. I mean, you're also doing a lot to mentor some of the writers that are there in the program. Um, our dear friend Stalina. That's right. You've worked with her. Exactly. She's going to be writing her uh, dissertation on uh, ex uh, ex exactly on poems that have to do with Chicano art. That is awesome. Yeah. So it's great that we're all connected. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Thanks for coming on the air. Really, really powerful, powerful works. And uh, Houston better take advantage of you while you're here. Thank so. you, Tony. I really appreciate it. You are listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino artists having their say on the air. We're going to download this one, and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Excellent. <laughs> We're going to save it. They are archived at the University of Houston Digital Archives. Those are a little harder to get, but we'll uh, download this tomorrow, put it up on our SoundCloud, and, and tweet it out. You can also go to nuestrapalabra.org and get some of these shows on demand. Hey, Leti, thank you so much for, for running the boards. Oh, yes. It's always fun to pushing tin up here <laughs> <laughs> thank you Letty. Yeah. and Raquel we're going to miss you oh me too guys and I just want to say thank you and go kooks <laughs> 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 thank you guys Orale. y we Maria gracias Maria oh, thank you and go kooks Eso. Eso. <laughs> and uh, I, I did want to mention uh, there was a phone call um, that took place and uh, the caller I couldn't quite ascertain between like whether they were crying, but was very emotional and was really, you know, was really happy about, um, you know, the the um, culture that we have. And he wanted to know if, like, there was a possibility that maybe there would be a little bit more of, like, a definition or, or more, like, of an understanding of, like, what Latinx is. And I was telling him, I was like, well, it's kind of thrown a lot of communities, like, in an uproar, but... He was just saying that he likes the show and likes all the Latin shows, and you know, this is probably one that I guess we could send a burned copy. But he was uh, he just saying that he wanted he really enjoyed what we we're doing and would probably want like maybe a little bit more of a definite explanation or more maybe more times like repeated over like what Latinx is. Yeah, there's a need for it clearly and a hunger to have this conversation. Well, and I think uh, I think Maria wanted wanted to put together a whole show on that. Oh, yeah. um, it's going to take a whole series. I think it would take a whole series because the, the one thing, thing I don't I want, want to deal with the difference between um, um, Lat uh, Latino and Hispanic. Yeah. Because there's a th and also like I wanted to go more on Latinx and more about like Latin like Chicano. Because you you identify como Mexicana first, no? Well, yeah, no, but I do define myself as Mexicana, but I also define myself just as just to complicate Latina. things a little bit more. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I define both because I lived in Brazil, so I define his I define myself, I define myself Latina and Mexicana. Ochimo. <laughs> the one thing I want to in Portuguese I do want to avoid the clickbait cuz that's always, you know, what we get. But I think we can do something more profound about that. So, uh, so you made them weep with, with joy, which is awesome. We'll we'll, we'll also uh, defer to their request for more on uh, the definitions of Latinx and, and explore that. So, hey, thanks for tuning in, dear listeners. Gracias, Roberto. A ti. Come back next week. Stay tuned for Coming to America. You are loving KPFT Houston, Texas. This is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante, saying good night.